Okay, so we're heading towards Christmas. Um, Charlie and I took our summer holiday kind of late this year. We, we took a, a holiday kind of end of September, and it went till kind of uh, second week of October. And uh, so we went, and the UK was bathed in sunshine, and uh, the, the shops were still selling, you know, the autumn ranges, that sort of stuff. And uh, we went, and we had, uh, like, two and a bit weeks of glorious sunshine, and we came back to find that Christmas had arrived, Halloween had arrived, bonfire night had arrived, everything had arrived. And uh, there was all this stuff that was in the shops, and I, I, have to, I did laugh, because I went in Waitrose this week, and on their Christmas rack, they have Cadbury's chocolate Easter eggs, the little ones. <laughs> Not, not just the mini puds, but the, the actual Easter eggs. And you go, like, what, what's going on? But one of the things that, that Christians do and we like to do is to remind people that there is actually a reason for the season. And uh, there's, there's a good purpose in doing that because in a time and an age we live in, that people want to uh, not remember Jesus. They want this to be the holiday season, the family season. So you give seasons greetings, not Jesus' blessing anymore, you know. And so as Christians, we come back and we say, yeah, but there's a reason for the season. And, and that, that sentiment is about keeping Christ in Christmas. And, and I get that. I feel that, you know, I, as, as a believer... I, I wholeheartedly uh, understand that desire to remind people about Jesus. But if Jesus is correct, which I believe he is, and if the people who wrote down the Bible are correct, the apostles, the disciples, if they're correct, Jesus isn't actually the reason for the season. And I'm going to unpack that for you. Because if they're correct in what they say, you are the reason for the season. You are the reason why there is Christmas. I, I don't know if, you, if it's ever dawned on you, but you are the reason for Christmas. Because if you weren't such a mess, no offence, and I wasn't such a mess, no offence to me, and... If people weren't such a mess and the world wasn't such a mess, there would have been no need for Christmas. And the mess, that mess, my, my mess, your mess, everybody's mess, is what paved the way and created the context for why Jesus came, why this Christmas. It came to do, they, they created the, the conditions by which God did something extraordinary. And that extraordinary thing is the birth of the Messiah for your benefit and my benefit. And uh, what, what, we, what we have to do is actually pay attention to what Jesus thought he came to do. Why was he born? And why, why the, the people who wrote the Bible thought Jesus was born? And in John 3, 16 and uh, 17, this is what Jesus says. Well, John says this about Jesus. For God so loved the world. So it's coming from God's heart of love. This, this thing we celebrate at Christmas 
is about God loving you and about God loving me and about God loving anybody that, that, that exists on, in this world. And so he said, God so loved the world that he gave. It, it stirred something in him. There was a desire that moved him. He gave his own, one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but inherit eternal life. Now, here's why God didn't send Jesus. God did not send Jesus, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So the purpose of Christmas isn't to condemn people. It's not to remind them how bad they were. It's, it's not, that's not what it's about. Jesus didn't come to, con, to condemn. He came to save, but to save the world through him. So the reason for Christmas is you and me. And God's desire to help us when we wouldn't and couldn't help ourselves. And then we get to Luke 19.10, where in Jesus' own words, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So there's another purpose of Christmas. Not just that, that Jesus would come and do something, but it's an active thing that we would, we as his body now would seek and save the lost. And that's why Jesus came. That was his mission. That was his purpose. So that little baby in a crib, he, he's got this DNA in him that says, I'm going to seek and save the lost. That's what drives me. That's my heart. That's my life's mission. That's my life's vision. And then we get John 10.10 when Jesus comes up with another reason for the season. And he says, I, am, I have come. This is why Jesus says, I have come. Not what we think, not what we have that little baby with the, the shepherds. And I'm not criticizing that. I love all that. I, I think it's fantastic. But he didn't stay in a crib. And this is what he said. This is why I grew up. This is why I came in the first place. This is why I grew up. I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. So reasons for this season. It's, it's not enough to say Jesus is the reason for the season because then we miss Jesus' purpose in coming. So his reason is this. Jesus, here's the first reason. Jesus came for you. If you'd been the only person around, he'd still have come for you. But thankfully, you're not the only person around, so there's more than one of us or more than two of us. But he came for you. Christmas is about Jesus coming for you. Secondly, he came to do what you couldn't do for yourself. He came to save you in the only way that was possible, which isn't based on your great merits or your great talents or how religious you are. It's based on the fact that he loved you so much he came to die for you and take the punishment for all the stuff that was your mess. And the third reason he, he came is Jesus came to bless you and to bless the world through you. We have a God who comes to bless. Christmas is about God blessing us 
uh, in, a, in a way that we could never have done ourselves. And, and because of that, we bless others. We give gifts because we want to bless people. But, but more to the point, we, we, we live a life and we live in a way that blesses people around us. You know, one of the things that, that we, we're going to be looking at in, in, with Pete and, and Jules and myself and so on is how much of a blessing do the people who come into contact with our church think we are? What do they experience from us? What do they experience when they come in on a Sunday morning when they visit for the first time? How much of a blessing are we to them? And so, just to summarize the way I've got to, you are the reason for the season. We are the reason for the season. People are the reason for the season. And, you know, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're kind of not sure, uh, whether you're a person growing in faith, a person who's been around this for like 30 years and you're maturing in faith, whether you're a person who used to have more faith than you do now, whether you're a person who's kind of going, I've got questions that I'm struggling with. Wherever you are on that spectrum, there's, there's something in you, I believe, that faces the circumstances of life, sees the circumstances of life, sees what's going on, sees what's going on where you work and in your family and in your relationships, and you just have one thing that comes up, which is help. Help. I need, I need some help. Um, is, is anybody actually listening? I just need some hope. Give me a reason for why life's like this. Jesus is that reason why life is like this. And Jesus is the solution to why life's like this. So, when you think things like that, you, you are not alone. The, the disciples all had moments like this. Philip, who was one of the disciples, had a moment like this. And let me just give you a bit of background. They, 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 all the disciples have come with Jesus to Jerusalem, and they're going to celebrate Passover. Big Jewish festival, celebration of, you know, deliverance from Egypt and all the rest of it. And they're going to celebrate Passover. And they sit down to this, like, celebratory meal. And Jesus says, hang on a minute, I just need to tell you, just to remind you some of the things I've said that you weren't listening at the time. I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. And I'm going to be murdered. Now, that is not what you want to hear at the big party of the year, is it? So Philip, is, Philip looks at the other disciples and he's going like, oh, you know, what, what's going on? And, and, he, and he sees things because they've been expecting Jesus. They think the reason they've come to Jerusalem at Passover is Jesus is going to stand up in the middle of Jerusalem, take control by force and get rid of the Romans out of their land. And there he is saying, actually, I've come to be arrested and die. And it, and it kind of doesn't compute in their head. And, and they're kind of going like, how do I get through this? How do I get over this? How do, how do I get past this? And Philip comes out with his classic line, just show us the Father and it'll be all right. In other words, 
I've got no clue what's happening, but I need a reason. I need hope. And so he says, I need to see the Father. I need that connection with God. I need to know what, what, what it is that's going to see me through this. Because this isn't what I was expecting. This is not what I signed up for. And, and what he's saying is, for anybody, if we have that kind of confidence, if we have that kind of certainty, then we can get through. So here's another reason for the season. And it's actually the one that Jesus majors on more than any of the others that I've already shown you. And it's one that I missed for a long time and kind of you miss maybe because you've been a Christian for a long time and it kind of, you kind of skim over it. And, and it's easy to miss, but it's actually really central to what Jesus says about himself. Jesus gives as the reason why he came to show us what God is like to demonstrate what God is like. And, and it's that that I'm going to unpack this morning. Don't lose the other reasons, but I, I wanted to focus on one, and it's that one that I'm unpacking this morning. Because at various points in our journey as believers, we, we struggle with this question about what is God like and how does he fit in to what's going on in my life. And some of us might have pictures of God based on what we've heard. And some of us develop pictures of God based on what we've not heard. So we kind of have these fudged together pictures based on an absence of information and a lot of stuff that may or may not be right. And... For some people, for a lot of people who, who aren't church people, there's a big problem because they see Christians arguing about all this stuff about what God's like. And for me, or, you know, for me personally, um, when I see that stuff, I get so fed up. Don't you, don't you get so fed up when you just see Christians arguing their, their little corners and, and their little preferences? And, and I'm thinking, like, man, have, you, have, we, have we not been paying attention? <laughs> can't, can't we see how, how this thing works? Can't we see what God's like? And, and what he wants us to be like? And whilst we might think, well, Jesus did, you know, we see, is, it, is it a big deal that Jesus came to demonstrate what God is like? Yes, it is, because we, we see all this stuff going on amongst us Christians and Jesus comes to clarify for us exactly what Jesus is like and what Jesus would like in our lives. The truth is, I think, we, we all have a concept of what God is like. And there's, a, there's something else that goes along with that that I think if we, we think about it and we're kind of open with ourselves is that we all have a picture of God. We all have a picture of what God the Father looks like and, and how he acts and what he likes. And, and my picture might not be the same as your picture. And we all know because of the way we, we behave and we act, 
we all have, must have different pictures of what God is like and what he likes. And let me, let me just throw this out there. Your picture of God might be wrong. How do I know that? How do you know that? Because at various points in your life as a believer, you probably changed your picture of God along the way. So what you thought was right at one point has changed or got nuanced or matured. And so we've all had pictures of God that proved to be not quite right. So it's possible you can have an idea about what God is like and be wrong. Yeah, you, you're still with me? Okay, because you need to follow this. You can have an idea about what God is like and be wrong. And if you struggle with that, again, you're not alone. This is why we have all this stuff in the New Testament that tells us what the disciples experienced and how they reacted and what they thought. And there's this, this, this guy, he, he comes along, well, he's around when Jesus is alive, but he, he comes to prominence after Jesus has been resurrected and gone to heaven. And he's a guy called Paul. So Paul comes along and he's got that sort of problem. You might not have thought of it like this, but, it, but he, he's exhibiting this problem, which is, I thought I knew what God was like, but I was wrong. I thought what I knew what made me right with God, but I was wrong. And so we see Paul and he, uh, you know, at, at one point he's persecuting Christians. In fact, he's murdering Christians and he's, he's gathering together. He's politicizing and, and kind of trying to get support for a wipeout campaign on this early church called, called, they actually called it the way. They didn't even call it Christianity then. And he's trying to wipe it out because he thinks he's doing right by God to wipe the church out. And then he comes to this sudden realization, I'm not right about God. And I'm not right with God. Let, let me just show you that. Because it all changes around one thing. It changes around an encounter with Jesus. That Jesus who came that Christmas. And, and Paul's faith and Paul's life is based not on information. It's based on encounter with a real person called Jesus. So just to see the change in Paul, when you go to uh, Philippians 3, 6, this is what he says. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect. What it means is if anybody ever kept the rules, if anybody ever did church like me, if anybody ever was as religious as me, if anybody ever observed all these things like me, I was the best. And so what, what's happening is he's doing the right stuff he thinks, and that's getting him right with God, he thinks. And he was the best there was at that. 
And yet we find a little bit later when he's, because he, he, that's a reflection on who, what he'd been like, we find that he says something really different. So in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says this. Um, where have I gone? Christ Jesus came into the world. Why did he come? To save sinners. Of whom I'm the worst. So all of a sudden, Paul has gone in his thinking and his understanding from being the best to the worst. And the difference is he met Jesus. And so, he, if you, if you can, I think if you kind of had Paul sat there and you asked him, and you kind of asked him these questions, you know, you sat there at the dinner table with him, whatever, you're asking him his questions. I, I think he, he, this is what he'd say. He'd say, I thought I was right about God. I thought I was right with God based on the good things I did. But then I encountered Jesus. And I realized I wasn't right with God and I wasn't right about God. And he refers to this in one of his letters. And I need to kind of give you a little bit of background to this letter. Because what he's talking about, he's talking about the difference between what in the Bible is called the Old Covenant, the law, which was given to Israel, and the New Covenant, which is available to believers this side of the cross. So he's talking about the difference between the two. And when he's talking about the Old Covenant before he comes out with this amazing statement I'm going to show you. When he's talking about the Old Covenant, he's not just talking about like 10 commandments. He's talking about 613 commandments, which are in the law. Plus, a load of traditions that the Pharisees and so on had put all around that, and then another, a whole load more cultural traditions that have been built around that. As people attempted to connect and understand God in the middle of their situation. And even more widely, he's actually talking about all the attempts that people make to get to God, understand God, and connect with God in the midst of their circumstances across all religions. And he's saying, and he says something really remarkable. All this stuff, he says... All these things that we're doing, all these things I did that I thought made me right with God, all these sacrifices, all these uh, observer, all these traditions, all these facts, I can't go out of my own door on a Sabbath in case it's exercise and I'm working, and all the rest of it, and all the stuff I have to observe, and all the festivals, and all the th things that we, 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 I've grown up in, and I was the best at, I now realize what they were. And so he says this, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. So they're not bad, but they're not it. Now, if you, if you, can, you, you can't see my shadow here because, uh, well, because you're over there. But if you, if you looked at my shadow or you look at your own shadow, you probably see things that you can tell about yourself from that shadow. You can probably make out, if you're looking at mine, 
that I have two legs. My legs appear to be about six inches long at the moment. But I have three foot, wide, three foot long arms. And there's a discernible blobby bit in the middle. And then there's this little peanut sat on top and a black square waving about. So the point he's making is you can tell something about things by the shadow they cast. We, we, we are going to appreciate the shadow of what Jesus cast when he was born in a couple of weeks' time. But you can appreciate some things about things from the shadow. And then he says this. These are the shadow of the things that were to come. In other words, something has changed how I saw everything, and that was the birth of a baby who grew up to be Jesus whom I've encountered. And all those things, whilst they were good in themselves, were not an accurate representation of the shadow caster. The shadow only shows me a bit, but these things, I met the shadow caster. That's what changed my life. I met the shadow caster. And the, the, this shadow caster, according to Paul, the shadow caster came to dwell with us to demonstrate what God was like. To demonstrate what God likes and to demonstrate how to be right with God. That's why Jesus came. That's what, what Paul is talking about. He's saying, I wasn't wrong when I did all those things, but it wasn't complete. It pointed to something, but it isn't the something. I thought I was right, but then I met the shadow caster. And I realized I'd got some things wrong. And, and that's what we have right across the world. Every religion, every tradition, every branch of Christianity, all the stuff that we, we read about, we've learned about in history, It's about man knowing there's something or someone and trying to get to that someone. And Paul is saying, I got to that someone and finally understood when I met that someone. And on the first Christmas, Jesus comes to show us through his life and through how he reacts to things and how he does things, what God is like and how to be right with God. That's, what, that's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas cannot be divorced from the purpose of why Jesus came to earth. Let me kind of start to, to, to kind of wrap it up for you. Because you remember kind of early in, in what I was talking about, I talked about this question that Philip raised. And then he says, this shows the Father and it's all going to be all right. So Jesus comes to show us the Father. So I'm going to 
Just go back to those verses in John chapter 4. 14, sorry, chapter 14. Now, just remember what we're talking about. Only hours after this conversation, Jesus is going to be arrested, put on trial, lied about, and then crucified. And he's talking to a bunch of guys who thought he had come to Jerusalem to take Jerusalem by force and have just had their expectations blown out of the water. And they're like, hey, Jesus, um, we're kind of really uncomfortable with this. Like, why, why did we come here? Why can't, let, let's just go back to Galilee. Let's go back where it was safe. And so they're having this conversation with Jesus about going back home and trying to get him to leave Jerusalem. And this is, this is where we get to. So in verse 1, it says, Jesus' response to all of this is, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And, and they're going like, what's he, what's he saying? Yeah, we believe in God. We, we believed in God since we were little. We've done all this stuff because we believe in God. And then, he said, then they think about it and he's going, so you're saying I need to trust you like I've trusted God with my life. That's what you're saying, isn't it, Jesus? And Jesus says, yes, just the same way you believe God, you believe me. And and that to them, because we skim these things and we, we've been around a while, we miss it. But that must have sounded crazy. Jesus is saying, I am there. I am showing you, you can put the same level of trust in me as you've put in the God that you've been following. And, and that might sound crazy. That might sound like ludicrous to them. It doesn't to us because we're churchy people. But to them, it sounded crazy. And so we get this, this, this situation where they, they're trying to compute it. And I, I actually think that because of where it sits and where it sits in the story, I think their first reaction is, okay, I can't get my head around that, but only a little while ago, I saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. Not freshly dead. Four days dead. In a tomb dead. In bandages dead. Smelling dead. Decomposing dead. And Jesus raised him for life. So I'm going to give him a bit of leeway here in trying to understand how I can trust him like I trusted God, like I, I, I tried to trust God all the time that I've been growing up. And so I'm going to give Jesus this leeway. And in verse 2, he says, In my father's house, and mine says, there are many mansions. It doesn't say that out there. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I was really disappointed to find out that actually that word mansions is kind of something that got mistranslated or meant something different when they came up with the King James Version. And it actually means rooms. And I thought, 
I was really up for a mansion. I'm not really sure about a room. I've got a room already. I like my room already. I don't, I, I'm not really sure about this room, Jesus. But anyway, what he's saying is, I've gone to prepare for you being with me. That's, that's where I'm going. And if it wasn't true, I wouldn't have said it to you. I'm going to prepare it for you. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you also can be. So Jesus is saying, this isn't the end. I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for everyone, and you're going to be with me. The, a reason for Christmas is God's plan so that we can all be with him forever. And then we go on to verse 4. <laughs> and this is what Jesus says. It's a cracker. Just put your head in itself in the, in the place of disciples. He says it. And where I go, you know where I'm going. And you know how to get there. You know the way. Now, if you're a disciple, what are you thinking at that moment? You're going, yeah, right, Jesus. Like, how am I supposed to know the where you're going? Where, where are you going to? What, like, how am I supposed to know that? I don't even know where you're going. And you're saying, I know the way as well. So, how, like, what is going on? It's kind of really odd. And, and I'm thinking, you know, like, there's, there's, there's another disciple, and he's called Thomas. I love Thomas. I, I grew up, like, you know, the whole Doubting Thomas thing. But I grew up, I was in St. Thomas's Primary School. I got saved in St. Thomas's Church. When I was at university, I exchanged one St. Thomas's Church for another St. Thomas's Church. He, he, he's kind of like a cool guy to me. And, he, you know, for whatever he said. But what the thing I like about Thomas is he, he gets his question, you know the way and you know how to get there. And you know where I'm going. And he goes, is anybody else going to say anything? Because I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue where this, what he's talking. I haven't a clue where he's going. And so we get, this, this is what Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know where you're going? <laughs> now, just pause here. Because I, I, I just love it when these moments happen. One of the reasons we can know the Bible is reliable, and I know the Bible is reliable, is because the people who wrote the Bible paint themselves as constantly confused, trying to catch up with Jesus, and no idea what's going on, and messing it up. If I wrote a book about myself, I wouldn't write that in. I'd put all my good moments in there, but they put their bad moments in. Why? Because that's how it was. That's how it happened. That's real. That's how these guys responded to Jesus. This is how they interacted with it. These were ordinary men just like you. And that gives us hope. And that's something we can, uh, we, why we know this is true. 
Because nobody's going to go write themselves into the stories like this. And even though we look back and, and we've got, you know, we've got all the context and we've got the hindsight, Jesus is now going to say something that if we will get hold of it, if we will embrace it, it will change and reset our approach to life. Now, remember what the question is. Jesus has said, I'm going. And they've said, where are you going? And he said, well, you already know where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas has said, we haven't a clue what you're talking about, Jesus. Uh, so how can we know the way? Now, this is what Jesus says. This is the answer to that question. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is like, it's not complicated, Thomas. It's not complicated, Philip. There's only one answer to these questions. It's me. I'm how you get there. I'm the one that's showing you the truth about God. I'm the one who came to give life. It's me. I'm the truth. All those questions you've got in the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your problems about what is God like, it's me. This is what God is like. All those questions you've got about how can you be right with, with me? How can you, 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 you sort all this stuff and have a relationship with me? It's me. I'm what it's about. That's Jesus' answer. And because it's such a famous verse, we can kind of miss what, what the, the, the implication is. But just in case we miss, Jesus is going to clarify it. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you make any other attempt to get to the Father other than me, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. So he says this, if you know me, you would have known the Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And at this point, Philip puts his hand up and goes, still not clear what you're talking about, Jesus. Because just show us the Father, and it's enough for us. It's kind of like, we do. We do know what the Father's like, do we? And Jesus is going, yes, yes, you do. You know what the Father's like because you know what I'm like. From the moment I was born, I've been showing you what God is like. From the moment I entered, you found a God who was a giver and who would come and rescue you and 
and, and change your life and give you what you needed to be right with him when you can't, couldn't do it yourself. And because God loves you, he wants you to know what he's like. That's why I came. And this is kind of the, the wonderful thing, isn't it? They still miss it. They're still really not sure what Jesus is saying. Because it's just so big, it's blowing them away. Because they wanted it all boiling down to church and rules. And Jesus is saying, it's about relationship and about love. You know, I think maybe we sometimes miss it. Because I think when we lose sight of Jesus and how he shows us the heart of the Father, it's really easy to get discouraged. It's really easy to let your faith get dull. And, and when I try and figure out what God's like and what he's up to in the world and what's happening in my world, it gets kind of confusing if I take my eyes off Jesus. Because Jesus came to give me clarity. He came to give me life. And, and when I start missing him or when he's not there at the center, it just doesn't work. I, I get confused. I get discouraged. I get disillusioned. And it, we come to this conclusion that if I'm looking anywhere other than Jesus in an attempt to understand life and to understand God, I'm looking in the wrong place. And that's why we can get confused and overwhelmed with life. That's, that's why Christmas, for some of us, just seems like really overwhelming. Because we know we've got relatives to face who we don't want to face. And we know we've got situations to front up to we don't want to front up to. And we, we, we don't have our eyes on Jesus. And it's hard. Any other place, it's hard. Because it doesn't always make sense in any other place. And that's... You know, when we don't have eyes, that's why we try and fit our circumstances and what's going on in the office and what's going on at work and what's going on at, in the hospital or wherever else. And we try and fit them all into our little itty-bitty understanding of how the world works. And it just does not add up, does it? You see, this is why some struggle with faith. This is why some people lose their faith. Because it's about something other than Jesus and living for Jesus in relationship with him. For a lot of people, my generation, that's how their faith as a child got squashed. A lot of, a lot of kids in my generation, because we grew up with it, knew lots of stuff about Jesus and the Bible stories and all that stuff because we had it in school assembly every morning. And then we grew up and we found out life was a lot harder and a lot more complicated 
than the few Bible stories we knew. And we try and make it all fit. And we try and make it all work. And the only way it works is when you look at Jesus. And you know, that's how I know I'm right with God. That's how I know what God's like. He's like Jesus. We'll finish off. How does Jesus wrap it all up? Jesus said to him, Philip, have you really been with me this long? <laughs> and yet you still don't know who I am. If you've seen me, you've seen God. So how come you're still saying, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words, the things that I'm saying to you, the things that I've said in my ministry, it wasn't me saying them. I didn't say a single word that wasn't God. The Father who dwells in me has done all the stuff you've seen. So, coming back to where I started, Philip and Thomas, believe me like you believe God. Because I came to show you what God is like. Because he fully dwells in me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the reason for the season. Jesus came for you. You are the reason for the season. And he came to show you how much God loves you. And how to make sense of your life by putting your trust in him. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that he showed us what you were like, your beautiful, loving, healing, delivering, compassionate, feeling heart. I thank you, Lord, that you came for me. You came into my mess. You came into all our messes. And this Christmas, you're still there, alive, Involved in our messes and showing us the way through as we keep our eyes on you. Amen. Amen, Faith Life.